0: Welcome to Intrusive Introspection with Anina and Sarah. I'm happy to be here today. Um, It's actually a podcast I'm making specifically for my final project. And with my final project, I created a magazine and kind of my inspiration behind that is being interracial. And this being the first class that I've ever really had that be spoken about where I felt like our history was being talked about, like that part of being confused and mixed. So I really kind of carried that through my magazine as best as I could. Um, One of, we had a couple of topics to talk about today. Uh, Sarah and I, I think the first one we're going to get into is Muslim in America. And it was a TED talk by Dahlia where she discusses her experiences after 9 11 being Muslim. And it reminded me of the book that I used in my magazine, Internment, where this little girl, after Trump was voted president, Muslims go and intern into internment camps. And that kind of reminded me of the Japanese internment camp situation after Pearl Harbor. Like I understood in both situations where Muslim fear could have came from, considering that that wasn't unreasonable reasonable then. Does that make sense? But I mean, that's kind of what I thought about, you know what I mean? With the, the magazine, like my point in including the book, because the other book that I used was just to represent a person of Black and Mexican Descent. Um, it was actually my aunt. She's a New York bestseller. So I wanted to bring that representation. But then I also wanted to bring in a book with context that was tied to our class in a way and tied to something that we had discussed before in class. I know We've all seen like the different media and stuff surrounding Muslims and terrorists and stuff like that.
1: I think that the way Muslim hate started was probably the first time we saw what has become normalized in society now, which is, you know, a problem turns into something else. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you remember, um, or at least I do, I saw 9 11 broadcasted live in school in first grade while it was happening. And that was unlike any other like big news event that I could remember as a child because it was unfolding right in front of people, much like things do today on social media mm-hmm. or, you know, you can watch live news at any time, but any section of the world, we were all watching it. Everybody was watching it. And much like cancel culture or, you know, the way that COVID turned into Asian hate, I think that it, it was very similar in the way because it showed so many people and it showed a segmented part. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, the news is very biased. It it created this vacuum of hate.
0: Yeah. You know, and I feel like that is like an ongoing theme in America. There was another book we read in class called Bad English, and it was actually by a, I want to say, Korean writer, where she just talks about how she grew up with learning bad English like that became part of her culture in America. And she was very embarrassed by it, you know, like because a lot of immigrants learned by like tv and i think she even told a story about her grandpa that learned from african americans that would come into his gas station and so he okay. would say motherfucker at the end of every sentence because he thought that was normal <laughs> i was like poor <laughs> thing but i was like it's experiences like that so she kind of just um we didn't read the whole book of course we read a snippet of her book but even in that you know it makes you think about everything immigrants go through and even like i don't know how much you know about the japanese um internment camps after pearl harbor they a lot of them about it. yeah a lot of them felt it was their duty to this country like oh they don't trust us but this is the least a we can do since we're not going them, to war
1: absolutely willingly it yeah, wasn't like it was camps. it's so like interesting they have to round up the jews yeah no, they went in there willingly because they saw it as their patriotic duty. Yeah, it's such
0: an interesting thing, the way different cultures, you know, take things or understand things. So that was something that I found really interesting, uh, especially in her in her TED Talk. It's toward the end, like I was tearing up when she was like, all these different religions showed up at the mosque because they were told not to go to the mosque the next day or whatever because of, um, they could be hurt, you know, people hate crimes, yeah, stuff yeah, like that. but. It's just like a lot of people showed up for them and i was like i really i love stories like that and that's the stuff you don't see really portrayed on media because i had never heard like of something like that
1: because it's it didn't fit the the narrative then right. and the the fire that they were st- trying to stoke because it was so sensationalized yeah. it didn't fit the narrative and still today i mean you turn on the news and there's almost nothing that is positive you know, you're not going to hear about a new rec center being b- built or, you know, a student winning a, a national hmm. merit scholarship. You're going to hear about all the worst things happening in the world because, you know, humans by nature are drawn to conflict, you know, and it tends to tune people in more. That's actually tied- why is because it's it's completely anxiety-ridden for me. I prefer to read it. You know, that can be tied to so many
0: things and like the overarching thing about my magazine is like being mixed and underrepresented and this is the magazine with like even the most mundane topics could be something to say, could give you a voice but <clears throat> um the the book I think I was talking to you about it earlier Origins by Nicole Hannah-Jones where she talks about we have no representation, minorities have no representation. Just like in media, the only per, the only portrayal is bad. If you think about it, like when mass shooters are white, they're like, oh, well, he was a star basketball player and he had such a good life ahead of him. But when they show like a, a Mexican or something like that, they're like, oh, he was an immigrant and he looked shady. You know what I mean? Like it's never in a positive light that they share these people in. And it could be like a white person.
1: The biases of the news and the way they cherry pick information even to tell stories mm. is incredibly frustrating you know um there are several people on tiktok that have pretty much dedicated themselves to talking about like situations where police are in trouble like you know police brutality crimes that police officers commit and one of them particular that made me think about that was that there's a cop that's in the news right now because he used his privileges as a cop to befriend a girl online and then find her home address. And then he went to her home address and killed her family and kidnapped her. Oh my God. The news, they're calling him a man. They're not saying a police officer from such and such place and they're yeah. not even saying how he found that information. And I just find that to be. It's crazy. It's that really he can just incredible. be a man, but yeah, if it's a minority, made- they're a Mexican man
0: or an African American man. You know what I mean? Like we they
1: we can never they- get
0: away from that,
1: that label, that yeah, why are we not color. That, yeah. It's, it's very infuriating because I do think that it's really important. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's if you think about it, though, even with the critical race theory and politics and all this stuff like Nicole Hannah Jones discusses like having no representation and growing up, she never really saw herself portrayed as a little African-American girl in literature and in history and stuff. And so it like makes you think like, you know, she started the 1619 project to like bring African-American voices and stories to history and they're accurate stories like they're by historians. And it's like I hate that. We constantly say that African-American history is just that 200 some years of slavery and the white man's, you know, burden that we brought, we went to Africa and we saved them and all this stuff. And I'm like, they had a huge civilization before we got there. They were scientifically, politically, economically advanced. They had Ghana was one of the biggest empires for centuries. Egypt was, and they always teach, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, they teach Egypt like it's a different entity than Africa. Like they mm-hmm. can separate it somehow. Well, like I they're, think the are, they're they're not African, they're the Egyptian. Way that
1: Americans like view countries and why we view them as such separate places instead of them being like actually connected to the same continent. Mm-hmm. Because they do make it sound. Like the way they teach it, not only do they not teach things properly, but they make it sound like these are isolated places that are completely disbanded from other places.
0: Yeah, I remember I was never taught about African history before colonization, but you're taught about Egyptian history. And that's it. Uh, Egypt. So great. And I'm not saying it's not they have they have a rich history, but you can't forget the many, many different countries and tribes and dialects and cultures and religions oh, that so Africa my, yeah. had.
1: Well, how about the whitewashing of Egypt and how Egyptians in the media and in textbooks are basically portrayed as like dark skinned white people mm-hmm. when a lot of them were Afrocentric? I mean, they're right a, there. A they're, I'm were sure mixed.
0: they come they in different people. shades, you know, tan, okay. darker, but yeah, they were not white like. The media they, portrays them. Whatever
1: the beauty standard is, somehow it's become whitewashed. Well, that that is a thing now. Where
0: the closer you are to your centric beauty standards, the more beautiful you are. You know what I mean? Like there was this thing where they—I can't remember the statistics—but they pretty much said women in business that were blonde were more successful, and I can't remember the numbers mm-hmm. behind it. And I actually had this discussion in my class where more
1: successful as well.
0: Well, what I was thinking is, you know what if women are dying their hair blonde in order to be successful? Because at the end of the day, white men still rule a majority of the world. They're in charge of businesses. They're in charge of the government. They still hold a majority of the powerful positions. So if they're attracted to this blonde woman, this innocence, this feminine air that they believe women should be, why not play into that? And if you think about it, a lot of um Slaves and servants have played into that too over the centuries. Like I don't know if you ever heard of Equiano. He was a uh, African kidnapped from Africa. He became a slave. He learned he was educated by his master and then eventually bought his own freedom. But he played right into the European standard. like he was well educated, very smart, very proper. He actually wrote a book. So I'm like, people doing this. You know they're like adapting and overcoming. You know, like, what if you're just doing what you have to do to survive in the world that's already been built? You know, like you have no choice but to survive in it.
1: Well, and there, there's all, there's always the resistance to conform, but there's some, there's some cases where we do things unknowingly. Mm -hmm. You know, I've read articles about like beauty in the workplace and how. Standards for professionalism with women and men are completely different. Right, you know the the way that you're expected to dress and you know have your hair done and have your makeup done. These aren't you know things that men and women have to worry about.
0: Yeah, it's mainly you know. women. We're very scrutinized, and you know, as a mixed woman, I have very you know I have very curly hair. My hair is seen as unprofessional, and. I had to explain that to my husband. He's a white man. He doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. But I was getting ready to go somewhere, somewhere we had to dress nice. And he's like, why are you putting your hair up? And I'm like, Michael, people look at me weird because I look unkept if I leave my hair out.
1: Well, they call it nappy. There's there's a million descriptors mm-hmm. that are negative to what you look like naturally and to what people lo- that look like you are accepted to be, and you know people that are more leaning towards yeah. a certain ethnicity you know, are expected to be.
0: I'm ashamed to say that I even view it as curly hair is being unkept because it looks unprofessional. Like you should be blonde or like straight streak hair, like very nice. And I'm ashamed to say that that bias lives in me because that's. What all I've known, you know, like you get dressed nice, you straighten your hair. Even as a kid, you know, my mom would iron her hair out like the old fashioned way, like that was how you'd look nice. Or if you did curls, it wasn't my natural curls. She would twirl it on like a spoon, like an old hot iron spoon type of thing, and mm-hmm. make those coiled, you know, professional looking curls. It was never my natural hair. Well,
1: it's all to strip people of their identity. Mm-hmm. And identity is, is wrapped up in culture. And since the standard of beauty has been for you know modern society, Eurocentric, then you have to strip those people of that identity. There's, I can't remember what branch of the military this man is in. I think he's in the Navy, I could be wrong, but he just gained the right, to wear his hair and his, like to actually grow his hair out because he's native. He's the first person that's ever done it. And it was, it was incredible listening to him because it wasn't really something I had thought of, you know, Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought what does, what would a native man do if they entered the military and, you know, their hair is a really big part of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they cut their hair off, but there's no, there's no special rule for them. He had to, I mean, he had to really take it very far. I think it took him almost two years to just be able to grow his hair. That's part of his culture.
0: I'm and so they're you.
1: part of his culture. And I, you know, I think that the reason why it's so downplayed is because they want to strip you of your identity, you mm-hmm. know?
0: As a veteran, I will say references, references. <laughs> it's frowned upon being an individual. <laughs> you should be a part of the unit, you know what I mean? But, um, <clears throat> that kind of, this conversation kind of reminds me of, um, one of the texts I actually reference in, in my own way in the magazine, it's what is a nice racist. And, um, it talks about, like, I think we already mentioned the white progressive, um, in my magazine, I wrote an article called cultural appreciation with a question mark, um, just kind of talking about like my deployments and the different cultures I experienced. And is America too sensitive? Or where, like, where should we draw the line type of thing? And I know we had kind of talked about it a little bit here and there. But what do you think of that? Like the white progressive, the person that's so woke that you end up hurting minority voices, but not hearing them like, oh, I could never be racist. I have I have a black friend. I have, or in, what was it, the words of my dad? My kids are mixed. I can't be racist, you know? Like,
1: from I your own perspective. That that those people to me, I don't think are doing things or learning things or speaking about things for unselfish reasons. Mm-hmm. They can't tie themselves in, oh, I cannot be a racist. They cannot tie themselves to it because they can't let go of their ego. If you cannot yeah. admit that you have some sort of internal bias or, you know, you too could be at fault that you might be ignorant about something, dismissing it completely, you're not actually that progressive. You're not actually woke. You're yeah. not actually doing anything for well, these people, you know? And there's there's some things where it's hard to know exactly as a white person what you should do to help whatever cause or, you know, because people have differing opinions. Surprise, surprise. One person's opinion is not another's. So like the Black Lives Matter movement, there were plenty of people that said they didn't want to hear white voices in this discussion. They just wanted support. And then there were other people that said that they wanted as much support in any way as possible. And that did not take away from it. And then, you know, most recently with what's been going on in the Middle East, like, you know, women shaving their hair off in support. There were plenty of people that said white women should not be doing this. And then you go to the people where, you know, they're actually, they're suffering. And they say, I don't care what color you are. I don't care, you know, who it is, what you're doing. If you're talking about this, it's getting out to more people and we're happy for whatever support. I think that a lot of people mean well, Mm. but for those people that say, I can't be racist, you know, I, I have reached perfection. I can't be part of the problem. It's
0: so funny that you
1: very much not a racist person, but I catch myself thinking things sometimes I'm wondering where that bias comes from.
0: Well, it's taught to us and they that they've actually done sign um it's not sign I was gonna say I can't even think of the words now, but experiments or like social experiment experiments to show that even minorities have that own perception and bias of themselves that if they see a room full of like other minorities are like that's they get bad it's like a bad vibe. You know what I mean? Like the med- the immediate thought is like, oh, that's not a good place to go. That's not safe. But if they see a room full of white people, they're like, that's a safe place. And I really think that's just centuries of colonization of
1: also, stereotypes is- and labels.
0: You can't just it's erase, like- you know, what's been done. It takes time. And it takes acknowledging that, okay, I did think this, like you said, and let me get rid of that. Let me fix that. Where did that come from? Let me argue with myself. And I love that you brought up um, some of that stuff like the girls cutting their hair because in my article i talk about um i met this navy reservist he was african and i can't for the life of me remember what country but he's telling me like when people come visit they they loved for people to like embrace their culture like he loved it so much but um, when you come to the u.s it's like that's cultural appropriation everything's appropriation no matter what it is and he's like i america's such a weird contradiction because Everything's yep. cultural appropriation, but he's like, being here was the first time he also ever experienced racism. So I was like,
1: "Well, yeah, no figure." Heard, like, I've I've heard from multiple sources and multiple cultures where people will say like they've come to America, and you know, they, it was very different than what they thought, mm-hmm. and you know what what they see here as a problem, like cultural appropriation, is not a problem where they're from. They don't have a problem with that. Like yeah. I've heard people say that white people shouldn't wear kimonos except for the Japanese, actual Japanese people are very happy to share their culture. Mm-hmm. How about when, um, like when Halloween was coming about, there were people like online that were in costumes of like like sombreros or whatever. And people were very upset, upset by that. It's funny because it's mostly white people that are well, upset by I... it.
0: And I also think
1: people forget that, that. People doing that, and then there's they go to you know actual Mexican mm. people, or they they're visiting Mexico and they're asking the, the native people there, how do you feel about this? And they love it. They think it's hilarious. They think it's great. So I what think, gives you, what makes you think that you have the authority to speak on what is cultural appropriation in other countries? Yeah, I feel like it's the question is,
0: have we gone? too far Are we too desensitized too. and fear being labeled as racist or bad that we have now gone in the completely wrong direction where it's everything's crazy. wrong yeah
1: and I know a dream and like i said a lot of these people like you know this the incident about like sombreros and wearing them mm. as you know a costume for halloween most of those voices that were saying this is cultural appropriation were white and yeah. then you'd see comments or stitches from Hispanic people or, you know, whatever culture. And they would say, Oh no, we we don't care. Mm -hmm. We don't care at all. Do do it. We don't care. We think it's, it doesn't bother us. Um, Aside from that though, the funny thing is, is like, that's not even like, it's not even a common theme to see people dressed up as you know conquistadoros mm-hmm. or conquistadores for halloween what's oh, a, a much bigger problem and actually a problem is people dressing up as pocahontas or native people as yeah costumes. i think
0: there's obviously a line They're well
1: documented that they are not okay with it they do not like it yet all of these big companies well what they like, keep telling them is and- still selling it
0: And what I agree with is there should be lines in every culture. Like every culture has what's sacred to them and that should be respected. You know what I mean? So I think people have a
1: a hard time drawing that line. I think it's important whenever you have those questions, if, you know, if it's okay, is this cultural appropriation or is this okay, Mm -hmm. then do your own research and listen to the voices of whatever community it is instead of making up your own rules.
0: Yeah. I love where this conversation is going but I want to get to our last topic which is the color of law which I tied into the magazine with um I I'm pretty sure I sent it to you it was a uh, I did a little snippet a little article on the housing market crash Mm -hmm. and it to me like I wanted these articles to flow well and be like subtle hints to the material we discussed in class so I kind of just discussed the millennial dilemma of having, we want it all to crash so we can buy a house. <laughs> but
1: um, housing yeah, discrimination has been happening. Like so I can get out of my
0: <laughs> You know, the housing market has been discriminating against people for decades. Now it's the young and poor. But in the color of law, they discussed how it was okay in leases for white people to actually put in there that Caucasian only could live here or. You know, no African-Americans or no minorities could live in this neighborhood or this house. And to me, that's crazy. And I even though
1: see that people still get around those rules in ways, like I think it was Chicago implemented rules where you couldn't have non-familiar relatives as roommates. And that's a problem for most people. You know, and what's funny is that you're all related to
0: what's funny is African-Americans used to find a way around that too, where they could only live somewhere if they were working there. So they would make mm-hmm. like business contracts and a bunch of them would all like rent a place. Like they cleaned it or something like that. Like they would fake make these businesses. Um, so I just thought that was, you know, kind of crazy to think about that. In the it, you know, it didn't even become illegal until the 1950s. It didn't even become, you know, like enforced until the 1950s, even though the law was passed in 1949, but it's like, they gave them wiggle room to like, cause they said that, oh, if you include it in the lease, if the restrictions are already in there before, we're not going to make you go back on it. So I like, I feel like that was like a small way to appease the white community, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And I know it's like people read the article that I wrote in there and they're like, well, how does that really tie to it? And to me, like I said, I just, I wanted the article in the magazine to flow well,
1: but it does flow because all, all of these issues are interconnected in some way. Yeah. You know, racism isn't a thing of the past. Yes. A lot of things have changed, but you could say, you know, just like the article about a nice racist, mm. a lot, of, a lot of things have just kind of shifted and adapted to perpetuate a lot of these problems. You know, like yeah. before we started the podcast, we spoke about like the the housing market. And one of the things that I talked to you about was how there's been several stories about people that are wanting to sell their homes getting their homes estimated and the value doesn't even match their area Mm -hmm. or, you know, the price of their home when they bought it and they get several estimates and they're all about the same. And then they ask a white friend, one woman, her husband was white. So they got a new company, you know, made an appointment and then they stripped their identity from the homes. And when when the person came to evaluate their home and give them an estimate, it appeared to be owned by a white person. And then it would be to the appropriate value. You know, I'm talking hundreds of <laughs> thousands of dollars worth of a difference.
0: It's honestly ridiculous. It's...
1: It is ridiculous. But I thought, surely, that this was an isolated incident. And as we talked about it, it wasn't. There's mm-hmm. many. I've like heard about it. In yeah. In many different states. It's absolutely ludicrous. You can't argue that that's not racist.
0: And you can't argue that that isn't also that bias, that they walked into that home and saw those families just living their life, but they saw the color of their skin and they were like, oh, wow, this space is not good. This is not a good area. It was, they were rich. They were
1: immediately
0: given those negative thoughts. The home. Yeah. Um,
1: These are all my I mean, some of these like you can look up news stories and go through these people's homes and they're nice homes. They, f- they fit the area. You know, mm. one of these houses was like when the estimation was done and, and proper, the house was a little under half a million dollars and it was a very, very nice home. But somehow the original estimates that she had gotten were around $200,000. so crazy. You- I would be so pissed. She was very upset, but You know, she did, she adapted to her situation, which is absolutely ludicrous and not right in any way, Mm -hmm. but she adapted to the situation, found a way around it and then did a news article, which I think is hilarious because when these issues are highlighted, it makes it harder for people to hide. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, these companies have to speak out and say, why it is they did what they did? And then they have to be more careful. And yeah. it's really infuriating, though, that you have to take things to such a length. And why people, you know, in so many situations that should not be racial at all, that shouldn't be problematic. Yeah. Are. yeah. It is but, crazy. And it, it is really crazy. And not just that, but like, you know, I bought my home, like, I want to say four years ago. And had my mother-in-law not predominantly been the one doing it, it would have been near to impossible for me and my partner to buy our home. Even though it was all our money, Mm -hmm. the the process is so complicated. The logistics of it are so complicated that you need a lot of help. And it's very discriminatory. Because they you could really screw over a first-time
0: buyer, a young person, unexperienced, uneducated. You could really, and that's actually what happened to a lot of African Americans with their contracts. They would get screwed out or end up paying a shit ton more than white people.
1: Oh yeah, there was a lot of benefits that um, the I forget what the actual name is. Um, but it's like a they work at the bank, mm-hmm. but they help you with the process of buying your house yeah that the one that my mother-in-law was you know going back and forth with that she told she told us about these programs that I would have no had no idea existed and it worked out to be that you know after we bought our home there's things that you have to put money towards like a down payment Mm -hmm. you know insurance for this whatever whatever we, because of these programs for this, you know, like first-time homebuyers. And then we also use like um, veterans benefits mm. from my partner's father-in-law. that we were able to get that money that we had to put down for the house back. And many people don't know about that. Many people don't even no. know all the benefits to being a first-time homebuyer. Or all the things that you should look at talk about getting taken advantage of. There's a million things that you have to know to look for in a home to know that it's even a good investment. Sarah, we're at our last three minutes. Okay.
0: (laughs) No, we, you did great. We covered all topics. I really appreciate you. And I appreciate the start of our own podcast, Intrusive Introspection, which describes us
1: perfectly. Hmm. Um, the ramblings of a madman <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we got a little off topic but we covered everything so it doesn't even matter I, it was great I'm gonna end it here thank you so much for your assistance today and I appreciate you
1: thank you for having me yes